Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are still in our next series. Today we are talking about the cost of discipleship. Before we get started, I have a question for you, and that is, what is one thing you believed as a kid that you don't believe anymore? Okay, so we are still in the book of Luke. Uh, There's a lot in the book of Luke. We are in a series called Next, talking about what comes after deconstruction, uh, reconstruction, the whole thing. What do we do, right? There's this, this road to maturity that we're trying to be on. And so that brings us back to the book of Luke, where we might be forever. So um, today we're in Luke chapter 14. Uh, before I get to the passage this morning, I want to set some context. Um, I thought about reading the entire chapter, but I'll save you that. Uh, but you should go read it. It's very good. The entire chapter in Luke 14 uh, is a collection of a few stories. It starts with Jesus having dinner at the Pharisee's house, which, side note, is amazing because while Jesus uh, critiqued the Pharisees, called out their injustice, called out all the things, was still sharing a meal. And even in that meal, called out some things. We say in here all the time, Jesus isn't trying to tell us what to think, but how to think. So in this meal with the Pharisees, uh, the topic comes up of healing on the Sabbath. And again, he's moving it from what? Maybe it's not about this law that you have, but it's how. Maybe you think about uh, how to think, right? About if your child fell in a well or these things happen, right? On the Sabbath, you would help. And so he's, he's sort of having these conversations. And the conversation comes up about who is invited to the table, what seat they have. And they're not really understanding it. So then he goes into a parable about a great banquet. Uh, Again, asking questions like, who's at the table? Who are you having dinner with? Who's invited and who's not? The book of Luke is incredibly concerned at this point with uh, who you share meals with. And the religious people want to know, is there an in-group and is there an out-group? And the answer is very consistently no. This thing is for everyone. This kingdom is for everyone. And everyone has a seat at the table. So it's back and forth. And... We get to this point in uh, chapter 14 where Jesus says these kind of strong words. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Right? It's a very strong words from Jesus. If you're like Z or myself, you grew up in the church, you might have heard this before. Um, I've heard a lot about this passage. One of my favorite things about preaching at New Abbey is being able to take a passage I'm kind of familiar with, but now be able to see it through different eyes in context and in a new lens. Uh, And I'm just happy to do that uh, with this one. What I was told a lot about carrying your own cross and being a disciple of Jesus was that carrying your cross was about one thing, self-denial. Carrying your cross meant how much can you be like Jesus and like Jesus in that context meant perfect. So the closer you can get to perfect, the more things you had to carry on your cross. It was as if there was an in-group and an out-group. And anything that would put you in the out-group were things that you had to carry. They were sort of just your thing to carry. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Right? 
There are people in here who uh, being gay was just their cross to carry celibacy and a life of loneliness was just a thing you had to do so you could be back into the in-group. So some people in here being a woman was just their cross to carry so you could do what you had to do to try to get back in the good graces of God. And as a teenager, the only thing that carrying your cross meant was doing the best you could to not have sex or smoke cigarettes, right? It's all about self-denial. And then as I read the passage in the context, something is very clear. That carrying your cross, being a disciple of Jesus is gonna cost, but it's not gonna cost because it's about self-denial, it costs because it's about radical inclusion. The entire chapter before this one and this one is just Jesus reiterating that everyone has a seat at the table, everyone is welcome, and damn you if you say any different. And then we get to this place where he says, it's going to cost to be my disciple, to follow me might cost you something. And what does that mean and what does that look like? If you know me, right, then you know I'm obsessed with a few things, one of those being the American Civil Rights Movement. And that I've gotten to go on a lot of trips where we follow the trails of the Freedom Riders and we interview people. And a few years ago, I was on a trip and I was in the home of someone named Medgar Evers. Medgar Evers was an American civil rights leader. He's an NAACP president in Jackson, Mississippi. He did a lot for the movement. He was eventually killed in his driveway while loading shirts up for a march. Um, and his house is now a historic site. It's been preserved the way he lived in it. So we're in his home and we're getting a tour from the woman who, who runs the site, a historian. And we go into the room where his children slept and all their floor or beds are on mattresses on the floor. And this was a common thing for most civil rights leaders because of the frequency in which people shot into their homes through the windows. They would put their own beds or their children's beds on the floor for safety. So then we're in his and his wife's room. And I had this moment where I literally looked at my friend and I was like, what? What would I believe in enough to put my kids' beds on the floor. What were the conversations between him and his wife asking whether or not this sacrifice, this fight for freedom, this fight for a place at the table was worth it enough to put your kids' beds on the floor? And then I started crying because I realized one thing was true. Medgar Evers said a lot of things. He's coined uh, the phrase, you can kill a man, but you can't kill an idea. Because he knew at some point that this a fight for freedom, this commitment to this cause was probably going to take his life as it did most of the leaders of that movement. But he knew that you couldn't kill an idea and he talked a lot about future generations and his hope for them. And one thing that really struck me, that brought me to tears as I sat in his room and thought about conversations with his wife, I realized he was thinking about me. He was thinking that some little black girl in 2019 might be able to get a master's degree go to college and be speaking in front of people and enjoy so many freedoms that he did not have, that led him to make that sacrifice. That is the cost of carrying a cross of radical inclusion. It means you think about people who came before you, you think about people who are coming after you, and you do everything you can to make sure they all have a seat at the table. There are countless people, right, that I can name right now. John Lewis, Stokely Carmichael, H.P. Newton, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, Claudette Colvin, Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman, Harvey Milk, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Dolores Huerta, Cesar Chavez, all the people that made it possible for me to be standing here. 
that is what carrying a cross looks like. It doesn't look like not having sex before you get married. It looks like, it looks like thinking about who are you having meals with? Who's at the table? Is there an in-group? Is there an out-group? And anyone on the out-group deserves to be fought for. Fought for in a way that might tear you apart from the church you grew up in? What your parents believe? Put your kids' beds on the floor? And before I sound like I'm so radical, here's the truth about my own life. I'm so far from even putting my own bed on the floor. I was, I'm sad about going to two services because I'm more comfortable with one. <laughs> I'm not thinking about the people who might need this place and the generations next who might transform the way we tell the story of a God in a bigger narrative. I'm only thinking about my Sunday. That's the reality that I'm living in. And then I read things like this that bring up the idea of carrying a cross of radical inclusion, that bring up an idea of hierarchy, right? The two parables right before it talk about status. Right? You take the highest seat or the lowest seat. You have someone throwing a great banquet, we'll invite the poor. It has, it has so much to do with status and hierarchy. And I know I'm a week late, but let's talk about Martin Luther King Jr. for a minute. Martin Luther King Jr. being one of the best leaders that this world has ever seen, certainly that this country has ever seen, a Nobel Prize winner, direct line to the president, could talk to any world leader, died in Memphis, Tennessee, the, the morning after he gave his last sermon, his last sermon where he talked about seeing a mountaintop, and then realizing that he wasn't going to probably make it much longer. He said, I may not get there with you. He knew that this movement might take his life as well, and he was willing to do that, and he was killed the next day in Memphis. Do you know why he was in Memphis? Martin Luther King Jr. was in Memphis when he died to organize a march for the rights of the sanitation workers. Because a Nobel Peace Prize winning world leader decided that unless sanitation workers in Memphis have a place at the table, he wasn't done and he was willing to give everything for that. That is the cost of discipleship. That is our cross to bear is radical inclusion. And if I hear one more person talk about this cross as self-denial so we can become righteous, I'm going to lose my damn mind. <laughs> Everything that Jesus is saying, Jesus' own journey to the cross was about radical inclusion, was about the fact that everyone is invited to the table. And all of the things and ways in our society and hierarchy and status and symbols and you name it, and gender and sex and race, socioeconomic status, whatever it is, the weight of that is what he bore. The idea that maybe in this radical kingdom narrative, there is no hierarchy and everyone is welcome. And that dramatically changes the way I think about what discipleship costs, what it costs to follow Jesus. It doesn't cost all the things that I thought it did, but it costs something. Because you're going to change the way that you live, right? It might change the way that you live if you think about this idea and actually apply it to our lives, which is incredibly easy to say. It's far more difficult to do. But we have some examples, and I have some examples of what that looks like. And it is costly. 
not in a way of self-denial and look how holy I am, but a way of one of the greatest leaders in the world saying, unless the sanitation workers can come, I don't want to go. Looking at my own life and saying, I'm only here because someone else like, stood up for me. Who's going to come after me that's going to be grateful that I took on that cross of radical inclusion? Who might be standing somewhere that I don't get to stand? Who might have a seat at a table that I didn't get to sit at? And how am I going to do that? What's going to cost? And as we think about our road to maturity and the way we talk about God and the way we talk about Jesus and the things that we have deconstructed together in this room, I don't want us to forget that following Jesus does have a cost. It's not any of the costs that we probably thought. It's not about not being gay or not doing whatever or not smoking weed before it's legal, but now it's not a sin anymore because it's legal, I guess. Um, <laughs> that's how sin works. Um, <laughs> the cost is not self-denial. The cost is radical inclusion. And that's going to take us asking some really hard questions about our own bias, our own views of status, our own comfortability, and the own things that we are not prone to, right? Most of us aren't going to naturally move to put our place at a lower status or to understand where our own bias are affecting the ways in which we treat people. But that is the call. And that's the more important call. And that's the thing I hope we see more of in the world. It's not more people who uh, haven't had sex on their wedding day. It's more people who are willing to ask themselves about their own bias and invite those people who weren't invited to the table to the table. That will change the world more than anything else that I believed when I was growing up. So that's going to be our call. That is the cross that we are all asked to bear. How do we confront the own, our own things in our own life that are keeping us from making some of these sacrifices? How do we look to people who came before us and think about people who are coming after us and let that shape us in a real way? It's not, we're not just here in a vacuum, right? We have connection to that history and the way things are moving. It should fire you up in a different way. I get so fired up about life when I think about how many people sacrificed for me to be here. And you should get fired up about that too. And you should get more fired up about what we could possibly do, right? What's that Octavia Butler quote about seeds? Mm. No? Something about planting seeds for a tree. Yes. That is the cost of discipleship. Planting seeds for trees that you will never sit under. Thanks, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, no, no. We planned that. Though. We did, yeah, we did. Uh, that was pretty obvious that it was planned, right? <laughs> Just was like, oh, me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that quote? You know who I'm. You know who I'm going to. This man's read more books than uh, this whole room. So, planting seeds for trees, we won't surrender. Creating the world we want to see. And these strong, strong words from Jesus ring true that sometimes when you do that, you will come up against opposition from even your own family. And you keep going. 
And it's, we're not the kind of church where we're like, oh, we've deconstructed what that means, so like, just do whatever you want. No, there's still a call. It's a call to radical inclusion. It's a call to sacrifice so that people can have a seat at the table. It's a call to understand your own bias and not pass on the hierarchy of the system. And that's a real call. So we're going to do it. We're going to do it together. It's going to be hard. But that's where I hope we go. And that's what I hope we have in our minds as we move through deconstruction. Well, let's pick some things back up. Let's look at the context. Let's see what Jesus was actually saying. And let's do our best to be a part of that radical inclusion. So we're going to get back in our groups. And we're going to answer this question. What does carrying the cross of radical inclusion mean for your life? That's a big question. Um, but try to find a small answer, right? <laughs> Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.